I'm sorry, but training has been intense. My name is Matthew Kroll. Et tu, tu, et tu también. Tu también es poderoso. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only <laughs> podcast about movies, specifically the film Roma. And I apologize in advance to any Spanish listeners for my terrible pronunciation. Was that Spanish for you didn't know how to say it? Uh, yes, that was. Yeah, these are the only was that Family Guy joke. These are, these are the only phrases I know. Yeah, I guess. I, look, I mean, you you made the attempt. You yeah. were brave. You were braver than I. I felt it was important to try at least. Sure. And uh, I felt it was important to quote the most dickish person in this movie. <laughs> so I mean, we all had our drives. Yeah, we all had our drives, and this was a this was a fun drive for me. Hey, no emails this week, uh, which is kind of sad. Aw. What, what, want... what happened, everybody? Yeah. You, are you dealing with your families? Are you doing Christmas stuff? Are you doing holiday cheer? Yeah, we're not good enough for you? That... Not, I mean, it's fine. I'm just literally wearing a Krampus sweater right now. That, he, that's he... all fine. Yeah, it's an early Sunday morning. We're out here for you guys. And we're... you're and are you here for us? We're out in these streets? <laughs> no, we understand. No. Uh, we know this, this time is incredibly busy. I'm impressed that we found uh, time to not only watch a film, but come and talk about it. <laughs> um... And yes, and uh, if you wanted, if you do want to email us, if you do want <laughs> to get this a, guilt trip worked at all, if you do want to get out here on these streets, yeah, for us, yeah, uh, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod or yeah. or don't forget those iTunes reviews. Oh, some stars! You know what's a lovely Christmas gift? Yeah. Stars. Oh yeah. You just stars. give us as many stars on iTunes as you possibly can afford. Not we don't want to put you into poverty. Star oh, I'm poverty. I'm saying Kendrick Lamar gave us all the stars, so why not? That was a follow. great song. It was a great song, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It is coming. You know, it's coming up to the end of the year, and I'm like, I'm I'm going through my Spotify list, and most of it is movie soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the stars did appear quite a lot. Of course. The- side note: I feel like Black Panther came out three years ago. It, it was the start of this year, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, okay, this is going to be a quick detour before we get into Roma. Sure, sure, sure. Black Panther at the Oscars. Thoughts? uh, It needs to be there. Really? Yeah. I do not think so. I know you don't. (laughs) Uh, But I... It's... <laughs> it is going to turn into a more of a of a my thoughts on the Oscars as opposed to yeah. like because there's the Kevin Hart thing and oh then my there's God, the Kevin Hart thing and then there's no uh, then they're thinking about not having a host. Where are they right now? They're thinking about us for one. They well, should be. Well, they <laughs> they can't afford. No, us. Apparently, they're thinking about not having a host yeah, at all. Yeah, <laughs> which I was like, that's the only reason they don't understand humans anymore. Like it, it's there's. <sighs> I feel like the Kevin Hart thing is going to come up in our special episode, which we've long promised on yes. separating art from artists. Yeah. But um, we don't have to get into it now. I just I uh, yeah. Sorry, compl- I sidetracked you twice there. But Black Panther at the Oscars. Uh, I I think it's important that it, well, okay, it, it's going to tran- transition to a little bit different. But let's start there. I think it's important that Black Panther goes to the Oscars. But I think it's it's. It's important for a couple different reasons. One, I think it mixes sort of the superhero genre, which I always feel like has merit in many ways that, uh, you know, I would say the Academy might not. Um, but also, you're taking something that is a cultural phenomenon, superhero movies, and mm. and making something about uh, um, pointed at or, or about uh, another culture that doesn't normally get that amount of shine in this world. And it's just – and it was – I mean – you can't describe the release of Black Panther as anything other than triumphant. Like it's it 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 did it did work. It did great stuff. It was a great film. It was entertaining. It, it was exactly what it it should have been with uh with good messages and everything. And I was just like there's no reason this film shouldn't be at the Oscars other than the, the, like if any superhero movie has a chance Black Panther has a chance. What about Spider Into the Spider-Verse which I hear is phenomenal and I haven't seen yet. I but, know we, that's but, next yeah. week. Roma won out this week. Yeah. Um 
But uh, yeah, the, the coin toss was because intense. The only thing about what you're saying is, and, and I, I, I don't disagree about the, the tenor of what you're saying, mm -hmm. but the only thing I think you're... Uh, and you like the movie, so so that's you know that's that's yeah. Different, I mean, that's you're not you're not arguing that I like the movie. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the only difference there is that your argument for it, and a lot of people's argument for it, seems to be that superhero movies deserve to be there, and I, and I don't think that's a great argument. I think I I think if it was a great movie, and I I think it's an okay movie. Mm -hmm. then, you know, don't get me wrong. Then I then I could totally agree with it. Like I I could totally I'm one hundred percent back Logan at the Oscars. You know, like right, right, right. It's, it's got nothing to do with it. To me, it has to do with the quality of the movie. Sure. And I think uh, and I to me, Black Panther is like an OK movie. This is the thing. And, and I don't think it should be there just because it's Black Panther. No, no, no. And I don't think so either. I think, though, that the Oscars is I mean, it's bread and butter is kind of being out of touch. Right. Like if we're looking out of touch of the movie going masses, I'm not talking about people that spend uh, every week for the better part of three years discussing film into microphones in an apartment that's soundproofed. Now I'm talking about like, you know, people that just go to the movies, take their family, their kids, just people that go as pure entertainment like the Oscars don't rep. And I'm not saying they have to. Yeah. But the Oscars don't represent them really at all. There, there's a way that there's something mm. good that the Oscars does that it's sort of like because of the push and the buzz and trying to get it, it gets different. Like kind of your point back in the day about like superhero saturation or like the Disneyfication sort of like not leaving room for other films, smaller films that need to like that should take up the space as well, which I agree. Mm. I think the Oscars, the, the, the great thing about it is it gets more people into the discussion of like, oh, well, did you see Roma? Did you see that? Like, right. because when more people talk about it, people will go out and find it as opposed to just being fed what's fed to them on cable commercials. Right. The, the issue I have is I want, I don't want the Oscar-ish movies to go away. Right. I want everything to be in there. I, I I want them to kind of have. I mean, their idea of what was it? They what was the uh, the category they had and they took away? Uh, based popular film. Like that's a little bit trite. <laughs> yeah. But like, you, there's no reason Black Panther couldn't be nominated with uh, any of the other Oscar films in the categories that made sense. Right. And 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 I, I don't want like. And, and the other thing is, it would elevate the good. I'm just going to use superheroes, but it's mainly like main, big budget, sort of blockbustery, schlocky. I would say schlock more, whatever. Yeah. It would elevate the really good stuff more like Logan, giving Logan a chance yeah. uh, to to shine in that category and and would kind of even shine more of a bad light on the garbage. Like it would it would make the whole thing better. Right, right. The yeah, and look, I don't, I don't disagree with you in, the, in that the the Oscars are kind of nebulous in terms of what they mean. You know, like, like I, I remember um, growing up and um, Dances with Wolves won Best Picture. Yes, right. And so that night, because Dances with Wolves won Best Picture, my brother took me out to see Dances with Wolves. Yes, you know what I mean. And so it was like, oh, I, I wouldn't, have, and I probably wouldn't have gone to see Dances with Wolves, or I wouldn't have even asked for it. But it was suddenly like. Everyone should go see this movie. There's an inadvertent effect that the I, I think it's weird. A lot of bad. <laughs> I'm going to call the Oscars bad, but a lot of bad things in life have sort of like an inadverse good side effect that's yeah. like helpful thirty percent <laughs> of the hundred percent. Like like it it, it happens, uh, and 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 they think that's a great counterpoint to it. It's just, I mean, at the end of the day, the Oscars is just about a, a money circle. Yeah, exactly. The like, thing is, if, if Black Panther had been released you know, clo closer to November or December, then I think its chances of being in the Oscar would be really high. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm 50-50 on it, and I guess we'll, we'll do an Oscar episode like we did yeah, last year uh, as well. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Um, 
I, I just I, the more I've taken a, uh, the more I've walked away from Black Panther, the less enamored. And I actually did rewatch it because it's on Netflix, and I kind of just skimmed through it. And I'm, you know, it's like to me, it's a, it's one of those things where when you completely remove it from like the cultural import of having that movie appear on screens, and just watch it as a movie, it's like it's okay. You know what I mean? Like that that's what that's what it is for me. It's okay. I, I, guess, I, I don't I don't get excited about it. Right. I guess my counterpoint to that is uh, I have two minor ones and, yeah. and that'll just sort of be it for me is is the on I I disagree with that. I I watch it and I am excited every time I see it if I'm in the mood for that kind of movie. Yeah. And two, I don't think it's possible to separate it from that cultural touch point. Like it's a film that did a thing that I won't say first. It didn't do the thing first. It popularized the thing first, or, or it it it. What I hope is it opened the gates more to more diverse films in a genre that I love. Right, but it's, L- but there are diverse films outside of that genre. It's of not course, like, I'm talking about, yet. but I'm talking about, but in that genre, there yeah. really weren't. I mean, you had a couple sort yeah. of things throughout. I mean, Blade, of course. Yeah. But Blade didn't get because it was a rated R, not aimed at the fun for the whole family crowd. Yeah. Uh, didn't get that sort of uh, you know that the same level of push the Black Panther did. No, of so, course not. No. So, but I'm just saying. I like it because it's now like, hey, Hollywood, whoever the hell, yeah. this makes money. Let's make more of this or things that aren't just white dude that's grumbly about getting powers at one point. Like it's, it, and I don't know. It was just, it was a breath of fresh air, and I, I really appreciate it. I, I wish I want it to be recognized for, for, for doing what it's doing. More importantly, I, I want. Not necessarily even at the Oscars, right? Because look, I don't ever want to call. I don't ever tells people how to run their own clubs, right? But but, but like, and there's other awards too. It's just the Oscars is is as I'm as I'm getting older and more um, cynical. Uh, just it's a circle of money passing between very rich people to advertise their films, uh, <laughs> and and it inadvertently. Yeah, let's uh, people that might not find great film find them, and that's a great side effect. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I, we'll, we'll jump off the Oscars for a bit. I, th- I think it's an interesting conversation that we will continue. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you have an opinion about this, obviously email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter. Their plug finished. Um, <laughs> Never. Always we'll plug it. We'll move on to Roman. Just one second. But there was a really interesting story this week that I thought was fun about, okay. the, uh, about the Marvel Universe, which, was, which had to do with uh, a female director who directed a film this year called Zama. I think her name is Mar- Martel Lutricia. I'm, I completely okay. butchered that. I apologize. I'm, I'm just trying to find her name right yeah, now. Yeah. But but she uh, she talked about how she was called up to you know direct a, a Marvel movie or to have a meeting at least to to direct a Marvel sure, movie. Sure, sure, sure. And she is an independent filmmaker, you know, like uh, well, uh, not an independent filmmaker, very successful filmmaker, uh, critically acclaimed filmmaker. And she said the thing that was difficult for her was to understand was that. Basically, what they said to her was, we need a woman who can understand, uh, who can create, um, whose main focus is on the Black Panther character. And they were like, and, and she also said, oh, but I also want to direct the action in a certain way. And they were like, no, 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 we'll do, you know, don't worry about the action at all. We'll take care of it. Really? That. Yeah. And then, and that was why she, she said. She went in for Black Panther? Uh, she went in for Black Widow. Black Widow. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like, again, this is all hearsay and, you know, like... Um, I mean, it sounds right up the alley of yeah, this and world. Basi- and basically she was, you know, she was like, she couldn't understand why they wanted to offer it to a filmmaker like her, someone who's made her name, you know, for, for making, the, you know, very, very independent auteur-driven films but basically would take that away. You know, like, it, she she wasn't able to kind of control the movie. She was basically told, we just need a, wo- we need a woman 
who will focus on the womanhood, but don't worry about everything else. We'll take care of that. I mean, it sounds like two different things you said, though, and I don't know which one that the article said. One is very hyper-insulting and fucking terrible, if true, uh, about just like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like, we need a woman in name only, right? Like, that's really No, I don't of- think it was that. I think it was just... I think the thing that's tricky there is like is the suggestion that you have to be a woman in order to understand a woman's issue. I think it's helpful. It's helpful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's entirely entirely helpful, and they have a problem that they're trying to address. But it it just you know like yeah oh yeah here she is uh, Lucretia Mattel. Okay. Um and and basically it was the the don't worry about the action scenes was the kind of the thing and it was like you know like if you compare that to. You know, Christopher Nolan, for example, never always directs his own action sequences. Sure, doesn't use a second. But now, I mean, this is my question. This has <laughs> nothing to do with with <laughs> uh, with uh, the sex of the director, yeah, uh, or the gender. But the has she done action before? No, but she's never made an action film before. I know. So, so but like, I, so here's the thing: Do I think it's do I think it's right for them to do that? And especially in the way it sounds like it's presented, no, it's insulting and terrible. And why are you doing that? Yeah. At the same time, what what I would hope, for instance, is if they really wanted this director, they'd be like, "Hey, how comfortable are you with?" action scenes it doesn't seem like you've done a bunch we have an amazing team that can help you out and right. make sure that uh you know your we can sort of mesh your vision with our vision and try to like i'm sure it was more akin to that I, that i don't mind so much yeah. only because i don't mind that act it's what's behind that act why is it because they just want a steadier hand in the action stuff or is it because they're like we just need to check that box like i i get the impression it's that second one which which sucks because because if you look at the action sequences in marvel movies and i think uh, most of the most of the directors of marvel movies say this as well is that they don't handle the the bigger set pieces like they might you know they'll come in and kind of give it a vision um, but but overall, it will kind of be handed off to second unit directors. It does keep it consistent, then. It keeps it consistent, but it also keeps it uninteresting. Like, imagine... So, the thing here is, like... Um, although this is... Uh, I'm going to counterpoint this right away. I was, right. I, was thinking, I was thinking of uh, Chun-Wook Park's old boy and the hallway fight scene. In, okay. In that, you know, the single-take yeah. fight scene. It's like, is that something you would necessarily see in a Marvel movie? And I just re- remembered, in Black Panther, there's a single-take... Uh, sort of starting action scene, but it, again, it didn't quite feel. And you want to get even into the TV universe? Uh, Dare, yeah, the Daredevil did. It's an amazing version of that. Like yeah. uh, th- there is artistry there. It's just it's it does get lost. I think the I, I'm not critiquing. You know, like how Marvel runs their business. Yeah. I, think, I think they have an extraordinary business. Model. You think they're making money? I think they're making money. And I think they <laughs> I think they know a thing or two about how to like create a product. But this does sound like an insulting thing a Hollywood executive would say. Yeah, well, you know, who knows. Anyway, moving on to an insult to not an insulting thing that a Hollywood executive would probably pitch in a studio for to make I'm, money. I'm rolling with it. I'm uh, rolling with it. Is Alfonso Caron's Roma. Now, last week we were talking about the Battle of the Buster Scruggs and we yeah. got hung up on one phrase. I think both of us got hung up on one phrase and that was pilgrimage. Okay. We were talking about the the phrase pilgrims and pilgrimage, and we were trying to figure out like what is the origin of that phrase, what is the uh, etymology of that phrase, yep. and how does it come about. And we we both kind of you know agree that pilgrimage is a religious journey or a journey that has some kind of religious uh, component to it. it. Is a it is a homage to a spiritual component of some kind. You know, with, by with, definition, I was forced to agree. Yeah. I always thought of it as just doesn't have to be religious. This has to be some sort of journey that changes. You. I think I think the broader explanation would would have to do with spirituality. But in yeah. the dictionary, it does say it has to do with a religious journey. So this week, we we I you know, and I said this to you up front in our side conversations. I was like, 
hey, Roma, we are absolutely doing. Yeah. There's no. This is your Infinity War. This is my. It literally is my Infinity War. <laughs> uh, it is the movie I was most excited about this year. It is a movie that I was like. Uh, I know it's coming on Netflix. I know everyone has the opportunity to see it on December fourteenth, but I am going to make a pilgrimage. Yep. I, no, I'm going to go to the movie theaters, and the mo- and the act of going to the movie theaters for me was like a pilgrimage because I was like I I said to 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 my wife I was like look you can come to this movie if you want to I absolutely would love you to come I just want you to know we're going to the we're going we're going to go find the movie theater in New York City that's playing in Dolby Atmos it happens to be on Eleventh Street which means you the subway only goes to like eighth which means you have to walk yeah, yeah, yeah. from eighth to eleventh yeah. in winter time yeah you know and I was like and I'm I'm doing that and there is no question about it you know like if you want to join me on this journey you know please do but this is a uh, an important thing for me so you know like don't be opening that bag of popcorn during the movie or anything like Whoa. that. You know, I, was, I was like very. I was you re- laid it down. Well, I was just like, this is important to me, yeah. and it was, and it was akin to a spiritual journey. Now that's because it is Alfonso Cuarón. Wait, hold on. Did she go? Mm, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She was like, you know what? I'll just watch it on TV. <laughs> I'm so, good. <laughs> I, me, she and I have a lot in common. It's, it was funny because I, I offered the same thing. I, I was like, I wanted them to come, obviously, but I just wanted them to know this was really important to me. Yeah, I think you asked me to go at one point, but I, you, we never got to the part of the conversation where you would have laid down all these ground rules. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. I'm an asshole. <laughs> uh, no, 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 disagree. There's Look, if you did that for every film, which yeah. you absolutely do not... Uh, that would be an asshole move. But when you have a select things that, that are important to you that you want to go see in a certain way and experience, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's 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 good. I think I came off as an asshole to my wife. But anyway. All right, good uh, save, good save. But 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 anyway, I paid the $18 it cost to go see this movie in Dolby Atmos. There was only one theater in New York that was playing it in Dolby Atmos. Um, and that was, the reason was it's Alfonso Cuaron. Now, there, I think... In my mind, uh, the reason this makes this an exciting year is uh, last week or two weeks ago, the L.A. Film Critics Circle uh, had their award ceremony. And Alfonso Cuaron's Roma won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's one of, my, I think, a, one of the premier filmmakers working today. Uh, Hirokozu Kurita won Best Foreign Film alongside Lee Chang Dong. Uh, those are like that triptych of filmmakers are f- filmmakers that have all created works of art or works of film that changed my life. So yeah. these are these are not just movies that I think are good. These are movies that profoundly affected my life in terms of like changing the way I thought about life as a filmmaker and changing the way I just thought about life in general. And to me the for Alfonso Cuarón, the film that did that was Yitu Mama Tambian. When I walked out of Yitu Mama Tambian, I was kind of I staggered out of the movie. I mm-hmm. kind of sat there. I couldn't quite figure out what had happened, but I knew my life had kind of changed. Um, and that was a movie that profoundly affects me to the point where I'm sometimes scared to watch that movie. That's yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yep, because I, it, you're, wor- you're worried that that, that that feeling you had not necessarily will change, but will be different. And you hold that feeling in such high regard. It's no, it's not that it's it, what, oh. it, what it is. Cause I do rewatch it. Well, what it is for me is that that watching that movie is such a spiritual journey for me. It's kind of like going to see Roma where I want all the pieces to be exactly right when I sit down to watch it. Like, other movies that I love that I think are brilliant, you know, that I could rewatch, I can just throw on, I can put in the background. Right, right, right. With Yutu Mama Tambian, I'm like, I want everything quiet. I want to sit down. 
I don't want anything to interrupt me. I want to go on that journey sure. one more time. So at any rate, um, I guess all of that preamble. Wow. Is, 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 hey, so, so what'd you think of it? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, well, see, I haven't <laughs> talked about Roma yet. We haven't actually even talked about Roma yet. But, but before we get to the Roma part, I just want to say uh, this. I, I went and saw this in Dolby, in Dolby Atmos. Yep. Saw this in an HDR projection at the Landmark at 57. Oh, HDR's got to be great on that thing. It, it's also a theater I've never been to. Um, you know, like, uh, I've never been to the theater. The projection was amazing. The sound was amazing. And here's the thing. Uh, in the last few years, filmmakers have been experimenting with all ways to try and create immersive experiences. So we've got 3D. Mm-hmm. We've got high frame rate. Uh, we've got VR as, a, as an example. None of those have come close to how immersive this is an experience watching this film in Dolby Atmos. It is it is the most incredibly immersive film going experience I've ever had in my life. Um, wow! And it was and I was like, oh, it's the picture is one thing, it's the sound that people are forgetting about, and and the 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 level of work that was done in the sound mix with this film in Dolby Atmos. Is extraordinary to the point where, like, I was, you know, like you'd hear thing voices going on, and I would be, and I would turn around thinking, oh, someone's talking in the back of the theater, and then realize, oh, that's actually just yeah. the sound mix. And there's one scene in this movie where I was holding my breath, breath because I felt like I was in the scene. Right. Um. So please, I know it's available on Netflix, and you can see it in Netflix right now. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have seen it. But if you can see this movie in a movie theater that has Dolby Atmos, you must do it because that is the most immersive movie-going experience I've ever had. Have you watched it at home since you went? I have. I've seen this movie twice. Okay, so now I'm going to start saying, I, I, I 100% agree. I think when a, when a film is done correctly like this one was, uh, the sound like it, it's a tra- it transports you to wherever, to wherever the film is taking you. I was shocked. Half of my notes are about the sound. It's extraordinary, uh, right? and and this is, I mean, my okay, my setup. Uh, I have the projector, of course, so that the image is really nice. But something I've always e- kind of skirted around is sound stuff. I have decent speakers; they're old. It's a five point one system. They're it's not balanced exactly to where I sit. Like I I know all the things that are wrong with it. Yeah. Um. But that having been said, I uh yeah, your chair squeaks. By the way, we switched chairs this week. I got a new chair, so she here got my old chair. I just thought I actually just thought it was your cat. I thought uh, it was no, Zoe. it does I'm sound like Zoe, but yeah. when you twist in that chair, it's yeah. like. Um, but no, back to back to Roman watching it at home. I on my standard five point one old ass sound system was, and, and it's funny. You had an immersive experience. I had a this is incredibly impressive experience. Like yeah. I was shocked how good the Netflix mix was. Yeah, and I was like. Because there would be times where, like, you'd hear a siren. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a New York siren. I was like, oh, that's behind. I'm like, my, I'm like, my sound system has never worked this good. Yeah. Like, it was, it, I was shocked. And it's amazing because you think that experience of surround sound is usually reserved for action movies. Yeah. You know, like something whizzes past you or something's happening behind you. Yeah. But they mix the dialogue sequences mm-hmm. in five point or in, in, in Dolby Atmos. Yeah. And Which so, is probably like 35.1 or something. Yeah. Shit. I don't know. The speakers all over the place. But so what happens is, is that if you're pointing at a character and the person who was speaking before you is now behind you, you hear that person behind yeah. you now. And it was like, Oh wow! This is and it just it seems so easy, seems so simple. It felt super uh, yeah. familiar to me. I guess I think a lot, weirdly enough because of a lot of gaming. 
Right. Yeah. Gaming uh, does that. Gaming does, gaming does that consistently. Yeah. Uh, and when I was watching it, I was like, I, I was wowed by it, and I was also comfortable with it. And then I was thinking about it after the fact. I was like, oh yeah, because that's what half of my entertainment medium does now. And I'm like, it's super cool that a, that a, a film like dove in on that level of uh, of of, of, of immersion, for lack of a better term. From the filmmaker who made Gravity and pioneered, yeah. you, know, you know, like and really worked with Dolby Atmos, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and Children of Mean, of course. Um, so. You know, absolutely immersive experience. But Matt, um, th- and also this was a unique one for me. Again, I, I, I'm coming to it with a lot of baggage. Uh, I can I, see that. I'm coming to this movie with a lot of baggage. But then, I do that as well, so yeah. I'm very curious how this... Well, the third, part, the, the third part of the baggage that I'm, you know, the third compartment of baggage that I'm bringing to this film... They only let you have one carry-on share, and I, one personal item. One carry-on, one personal item. This is this is the, your, your therapy animal? No, this is the piece that I pay for. You know, this oh, is the additional, you bought it! Yeah, this is the additional luggage that I paid for. <laughs> Because I can see most people having the first two pieces of luggage that I have. Uh, the third piece of luggage for me was the idea that this was a deeply personal film about the way in which he grew up. Yes. And the thing that this conjured up for me that I hadn't, I, I just haven't thought about a lot is that I grew up in Fiji. Um, and in Fiji, it was common to have uh, a, a maid, a housemaid, uh, who yes. lived and worked in the house with you. And I had I had just kind of forgotten about that entire experience, and I'm presuming for you because you grew up in in New Hampshire that that wasn't oh, like, no. n- wasn't a normal occurrence. <laughs> but in, in in third world countries, in 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 a lot of um, like like in India, for example, as well, it is common to have someone live and work in the house with you. And and uh, I watched this twice, the second time with my mother and my wife, and uh, my wife and uh, <laughs> wow <laughs> wow. The the thing that it, the conversation sparked was about those people that lived in our house and like worked with us and and my mother you know like reminded me it was like oh there was a there was a, a one woman Mire, uh who would like take you to kindergarten every day and I was such a, a, a sort of dickbag kid that like my, no <laughs> that my that like my kindergarten teacher would ask me to do certain tasks and I would turn to her to Mire and I, and tell her to do it. You know, like like my teacher would tell me to like paint something, and I would tell, and I would I would walk over to Mire who was waiting for me and say, "Could you paint this for me?" You know, like, and it was like this wow. whole memory of like this person that lived in your life that I hadn't really thought about ever since. Now it wasn't the same for us in that we didn't have um, one person stay and raise us the whole time. You right, know, like we had sort of uh, a cycle of people coming through. But it reminded me of like that entire experience and the 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 inner world of people who I hadn't really thought about in a long time, um, and I I I read a quote from um, Nick Pemberton who uh, who uh, writes for Sight and Sound, and he wrote this thing about uh, Roma that I thought was interesting. Now Roma is of course now. Uh, it is a sort of front runner at the Oscars. Uh, everyone is talking about it. It is on a number of top ten lists at number one. It's literally inside the N on Netflix when you start Netflix now. Inside the N? The, oh, so, really? the way the Netflix logo goes yeah. and it goes to the N, the inside is her on the beach. Right. They're, they're, they're gunning they, for this movie. Yeah. Yeah, they're really gunning for this movie. But Nick Pemberton wrote, Roma is the sort of movie that successful pop filmmakers say they'd like to use their clout to make but almost never do. And so you're thinking about a filmmaker like Alfonso Cuarón, a guy who made Children of Men, which wasn't that successful. Gravity, which made him a lot of money and won him a Best Director Oscar, I believe. Um, And who doesn't come back right away. Like, it's taken him four or five years to kind of make this movie. And and has come back with something deeply personal and unique about his life. You make the big action picture, you make the personal picture. 
Right, but not the, I think what Nick Pemberton is saying is that how many big action movie filmmakers go this small after they've made their big action movie? Well, I don't think they do it as good. There's a lot of them that do. Like I'm going to go to Joss Whedon right the only after one that I thought yeah, of was, was Avengers when he did uh, when he did uh, what was it um, the Shakespeare film? Yeah, why am I forgetting it? I own it on Blu-ray. I watch it probably <laughs> once a year. Um, whatever, doesn't matter. You yeah. can look that up. Uh, the not you. I'm, I, I'm gonna look it up, but uh, yeah, because I'm hey, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being you when you're a kid, uh, being like, oh yeah, there's much this, to do about nothing. Much to do about nothing. Could yeah. you look that up for me? Thanks. I'm doing that because I I had forgotten the title as yeah. well. Uh, so uh, and and that's a fine film. Uh, it's not as good as this movie, but I like it. Yeah. Um, I think the other one I thought of was Peter Jackson doing King Kong, which was something that was deeply important to him. But it was also that's a kind of a combo film. Yeah, it's but also it was, it was it, a deep T Rex fighting like giant. But it was a deeply stuff. important film to to Peter Jackson to make that movie. Well, sure. I mean, look, if you want to get into deeply... But see, now we're getting... Now we're skirting, because then you want to look at, say, Edgar Wright and Baby Driver. Right. Baby Driver was a very important movie for Edgar Wright to make. But it's but not it's, a personal movie, right? Right, but, but King Kong... No, but it, it is for him. It's not for us. Right. King Kong was personal for Peter Jackson. It's not for us. I think Roma has a thing where it's a personal film for Alfonso, but it's also... He's making it so it can be a personal film for us. Right. If that... That's weird and convoluted, but that's kind of what I think. Like... I, we can't judge. I mean, I, I don't think this is true, but uh, you know, uh, any any film that any director makes could be like like uh, <laughs> Michael Bay could have been like Transformers: The Last Night. Well, was Pain the most... and Gain might have been his really sure. personal film. Like, you know, yeah, that's the thing. But this um, is. But I guess I guess what Nick Pemberton, uh, Pinkerton is talking about is the fact that this is it's it's so like you could see other filmmakers making King Kong. You couldn't see any other filmmaker making Roma. Like no other no other filmmaker could make Roma. Right? So now, yeah, you uh, in the same way. I, I think you could people people could make say King Kong closer to Peter Jackson's King Kong than someone could remake Roma closer to Alfonso Cuarón's. I, I don't think anyone could make Roma. Roma is unique to Alfonso Cuarón. <laughs> well, yes, okay, uh, yes, yes, and I, I I think there are people you could say like you could see Steven Spielberg making King Kong, and it would and it could be similar or not, you know, like close enough. But but Steven Spielberg wouldn't make Roma. No, because Peter Jackson wouldn't make Roma. No, but I I think we're so I'm agreeing with you. But we're also getting into territory that uh, there's always someone that could make it. I don't think anyone could make. I, I think well, not I, the exact thing, but things that are equally emotionally resonant to the same number of people, not the same people. I'm talking about how how personal this seems to be to Alfonso Cuarón. Well, see, that's where I'm going to have to disagree with. I mean, no, no, it, I agree with that statement. Yeah, but I I can't agree with the statement. The amount of of personal uh, 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 self that is put into this in, put into Roma, I will not say that no other filmmaker has ever put that much of emotional self. That's not. In that's, the, okay, that's not what I'm okay, saying. What, I, what, I'm what, I, what I'm saying is. Is that no filmmaker, no other filmmaker, could make a film about living in Roma in Mexico City about their maid, uh, about the nanny, the woman that raised them, like Alfonso Cuarón could. Who, no, no other filmmaker, because this is a film about him. Well, sure, <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? you know what I mean. Yes, I, this specific story yeah. could, could not be. T- but that's I the, understand what you're saying. But which that's is also quantifying personalization. Right. But, that's not what I'm saying. I know, but also what you're saying is like, well, no one could do the podcast the way that we do the podcast. Like that's no, everyone, anyone could do the podcast. No, 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 no but not talking. the exact way. Yeah. See, that's the th- and that's where the value sort of goes away, and, and then the value comes from how many people. It. I, I mean, uh, this is I'm literally trying to quantify emotion. But yeah, exactly. That, that's what. But, I, but like that, it comes. 
comes from like how many people get the effect that the director wanted from it. And I think this a lot of people will. I'm not arguing this. Right, against... you're talking about the effect of like what it's like to experience the film. I'm saying nobody else you're could talking... make Roma. You're, yeah, <laughs> specifically the, Roma. Well, yeah, but, but again, I, <laughs> it's like no one could make this cup of coffee exactly how I made this cup of no, coffee. No, it's not. It's not even exactly like like. Yes, I, it is. No, I'm saying no one could make Roma. No, nobody else could make Roma. Only Alfonso Cuarón could make Roma because a Roma you is need about to define the word "make." That's the thing. Like, I, like it, it, direct, it, it, right, edit, shoot. Sure, as he did. No one could make this cup of coffee the way I made this cup of coffee because I used the certain amount of of, of roast that I chose, and then I put it into this thing, and I okay, did this stuff. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure why you're saying it. because <laughs> because I, I this is not an insult to Alfonso Cuarón or yeah. Roma. Yeah, I just think. It's interesting to be on the other side of a, of a film that like you're so emotionally attached to because like I now I'm sort of seeing like the like wow if, if I when I'm talking about Marvel you're just like well yeah but like movies kind of you know I agree I agree like so like I just think the the interesting thing about Roma is not that because it is a personal tale no one else could tell it exactly the same way that I mean of course not but no one could do anything the exact way that anyone does this is just an incredibly powerful right. thing that he made I that of course I, no I, one I, could I understand do. Yeah. what you're saying I'm not sure what your point of saying that is because I don't see I how think that there's more I think that, that that it's kind of a moot point right the, the the effect the effect that it has on you and the effect that it has on people that watch it I think that is a very and that's something I'd like to discuss. Yeah, I just I, I don't know. It's it's the piece of luggage I wouldn't pay for out of your two out of right, three. Right, right, okay. Uh, and it's I, just it's, it's just me. Okay, I, uh, yeah. I know. And again, get what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not sure why. There's more. There's more poignant. There, that that's a it's a it's a moot point because it says actually your other things had very like oh this makes total sense this makes total sense and this makes sense. It just doesn't have the weight of your first two things. It, okay. it almost like. I, I was like, yeah, 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 and I'm like, well, yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> anyway, fair enough. I'll, I'll take it. I, let's I, talk I, about the movie. Let's talk about the movie. So, Matt, your experience—I've I've kind of told you. Sure. About um, it. So, I love Children of Men. I love it. I think Children of Men was actually—I don't know why I think of this now, but I think of films in terms of the graphics we make for them at this point. Oh yeah, and it's one of the worst graphics I, uh, I've ever made for it. It's—it's uh, it's me and Shahir in the crowd scene. Uh, with yeah. Clive Owen looking up at the television, okay, uh, in the, near the beginning when the when the youngest person dies, yeah. Um, and spoiler alert for Children of Men for the first time, uh, yeah. And uh, that movie, there's a film that I've watched in different parts of my life that have meant entirely different things, and each one is a transformative experience in the sense of how I experience. Like before, I saw it as sort of just like a cool dystopian kind of like thriller. And then you start seeing as you get older and you start thinking about, you know, children and, and sort of like the actual thing it's trying to say. Children. All men. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And then, you know, you can look at it from the, the from that one take scene. You could look at it from and you can look at that scene from just a beautifully choreographed sort of action scene to actually what it's trying to say when things get quiet, etc. Love that film. Gravity I didn't connect with quite as much. I mm -hmm. think it was an amazing technical feat. Mm -hmm. Um Have you seen Yutu Mama? Uh, forever ago, and and to uh, to my discredit, I think I saw it at a time where it wasn't uh, uh, what I'll coin for you a pilgrimage moment where I wasn't in the right headspace or I wasn't quite paying enough attention to it. Like I saw that there was something special there, but I was probably trying to hit on someone in college or something. Like I just I don't <laughs> not a good movie. To... I, no, 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 maybe a good movie. To I have no something. idea. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. That's the thing. So uh, with with this film, I was I was excited because a you were excited about it. 
and I knew whether I loved it or I hated it, there'd be a very good discussion to have. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, with with Alfonso Cuarón, uh, the I, I've loved his work, and I've been uh, I've been like, oh, this is good, and I've been a little ambivalent. Like it's it's been the entire spectrum. This is no slight to him. It's just how I've engaged with the films. And when I watched this movie, um, it did something. It did something interesting. So I started it, and I. I wasn't too into it in the beginning, and I think because it, it, at its base, mm-hmm. it's a it, granted it's incredibly personal, but it's kind of incredibly uh, it's like a it's a basic human life piece, and by that I mean like nothing happens that's like insanely out of out of the the horrors or the or the loves or the the things that like we've we've either experienced ourselves or we see in other things like mm-hmm. there uh and that's not a slight because it's a literally a slice of life for this woman in the, in the 1970s in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um and when it started I was like okay oh actually this it, great thing in the beginning you see water you see a uh, a tile floor which uh, is kind of representative of a, a bunch of different stuff in the film and then you see water wash over it and then you see the reflection of a skylight or just the sky through the, an open uh, open garage sort of thing and you start seeing a plane and you real like it's just this beautiful one shot of like someone washing the floor and you see it and like i was like whoa and that even in that first like that first minute before that happens with just the slow credits and the quiet i was like Okay, and then that happened. I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> and then I was so, so like, every time something happened in this movie, it clicked another version of my attention span, like in, right. like that was like, I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be a visually dynamic film that every shot means something." And I was like, "Great, I know what to look for now." Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "Okay, cool, this is what I'm in for." Then the first like sound thing happened where I was like, "I'm in this space." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Holy sh!" Okay, I was like, "Gravity done you right." Like this is this is. This is great, and 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 as I was watching it, I got more and more emotionally engaged. Um, I will say, uh, and and and, any, and I straight up, anyone should watch it uh, in either the pilgrimage way that Shahir said, or if you can't do that, watch it at home because it's definitely still worth it there. Yeah. Um, I will say that sort of at the end of it, uh, I was looking forward to this discussion because I, I was thinking about how it 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 didn't quite stick with me in a way that I kind of expected it to mm-hmm. especially after all of those things kept clicking and clicking and I felt like my like I got to an emotional peak especially near the, the one of the end moments and then uh and then afterward people asked me I was at a party last night and people asked me what I thought about it and I was like it's really great you have to see it, it the, the visuals are stunning and the audio is top notch and they're like well what how's the story and I was like is good, yeah. Like, I, 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 I know I'm not sort of doing it justice to those who connected with it on that level, um, but so I, I came away with it really appreciating what it was, mm-hmm. but it, it didn't, it didn't. I, I dare I say it didn't really show me, even though it's a, a slice of life that I am not familiar with. Mm-hmm. It didn't show me anything so new that I was like, this sticks now, like forever with me, right? Um. And it's funny, the, the last thing I'll sort of say is um, my, my, my girlfriend Jamie, uh, his roommate Tanya, who has actually been on the show during the New Year's party episode, okay. um, yeah. uh, she's from Mexico. Right. And she knew the film was coming out. She hadn't seen it yet. Right. And, but she asked her dad if she had seen it because... And, and her if he had da- seen it. Yeah, yeah sorry. If, if he had seen it. And he's like, yeah, I saw it. It was fine. And she's like, really? He's like, yeah, that was my life. Right. 
is like, and, and, I, and that got me thinking of this weird sort of situation of if this was some, I mean, not not, not Alfonso's, but like, because that's you're literally telling, it's like a dear diary moment, yeah. and that's always going to be personal. I wonder how like the average Mexican man in 1970 would and granted i'm literally hearing this third to fourth party he could have had a different reaction than he told his daughter like you know whatever it is but like it's it got me thinking like wow what if what if someone did a really like an incredibly well done emotional tale of like growing up in southern new hampshire uh in the 1980s like could it be as emotional but then i wouldn't care Right, like I don't know. That was that's a tangent. Means nothing about the film, but it was. I had a unique ex- a moment where I could talk to someone who, or not talk to, like hear the story about someone's uh, interacting with this film. Who it was also basically their life. They were in the same socioeconomic class. They, you know, they they did the whole thing. So, uh, this is a great film to watch and and think about while watching. It's just it didn't quite stick with me once once it was done. That's why I was I was psyched to talk to you about it because I I knew you would find things in it. That I I I that or things would stick with you in it that did not necessarily stick with me. So I will say this: uh, when I walked out of the movie, I was like, I I knew I was deeply moved by the movie, but I couldn't articulate why. Ah, okay. You know, like I was like, and and this is that sort of same experience with Yutumama, which was that I was like. I knew something had changed, but I didn't know how to articulate it. And I was like, and and it was really bugging me because I was like, my job is to articulate <laughs> why I think this movie is great. And but I couldn't because I agreed with you. Like the first half of the movie, I was kind of just there, and I wasn't really, I wasn't incredibly invested. I was just kind of, I was a, in admiration, and it was only the second half. And then I was like, no, I just need time to sit with this movie. Mm. I just need time to think about it. And I actually watched it a second time. Yeah. Um, not beca- not for that reason, because I think by the time I watched it a second time, I kind of knew how I felt about it. But I just wanted to, I, I, I just wanted to watch it again, to right. be honest with you. Um, and I wanted to watch it again uh, with my mother and with my wife. And, and I, wa- I wanted to see what they, how they felt about right. it. Right. And uh, it's interesting... I'm going to skirt around my feelings for a little while and just talk about how other people felt about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, I didn't want to derail you, but I was so curious how your mom and, and your yeah, wife... Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, because again, we grew up not in Mexico City, obviously, but not in that in, in the exact environment, but it, it conjured up the, f- the life that we had lived sure. at some point. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't, uh, you know, I know we are the only podcast about movies, but I listened to a couple of other podcasts about Roma. Uh, how? I don't know how. I just, I maybe I imagined it, maybe I dreamt it. Okay. But what were a, the names of them? Do you remember? Uh, so the Slash Filmcast is a podcast that I listened to kind of quickly. It's not, I, I really like the Slash Filmcast, but it's not like, if I'm cr- trying to critically think about something, it's not necessarily the podcast I go to. Um, Your subconscious but, is weird. Yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I made up all these characters. Um, but there was an interesting that, thing that happened in, in in the slash film cast this week, uh, and I urge you guys I, listen to us first, but then go listen to that episode uh, because an interesting thing happened is that I brought a guest on. I'm not going to name the names of the guests, uh, uh, you know, because I think you should go watch yeah, yeah. it themselves. But uh, a reviewer came on who said they didn't like the film at all. They thought that the film was about a rich guy, uh, you know, talking about his nanny growing up, and it was, and the, and that nanny had no agency in the film and was. And it was poorly depicted, and it was, and 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 this reveal was just like not on board for this movie. Okay. Um, and then the second reviewer said, "Oh, okay. Well, here's an interesting thing. Just to like put us in the frame of reference, is that this second reviewer has a nanny who looks after their children. Um, you know, like uh." 
five days a week for a few hours. Sure. And that nanny had come from El Salvador and uh, saw that this reviewer had a copy of Roma and asked to borrow it. And he was like, oh, absolutely. I would love to see what you think about this film. And she wrote, and and the nanny then wrote him a text message that he read out on air about her experience of watching the movie. Oh. And, and she was like, and she, I, I, you know, again, go listen to it, but it was really interesting because she was like basically saying, I've never seen a film where the main character A looked like me and the film was about my life. And she said, and she, you know, she whipped watching it. She couldn't believe that this film existed. Yeah. She couldn't believe how much this film got right about her life. And 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 you know and basically reflected upon her existence, and and it was interesting because the first reviewer who said that the film had you know had created no agency for this woman was like oh okay I guess I can kind of see you know like it's suddenly like this entire yeah. line of argument was thrown out the window because someone deeply personally reflected on it, and the thing that I I, I think is really important is I again I sat through the end credits of this movie and of course the first thing that comes up is for. Uh, the in credits is for Lebo, yeah, who is who was Alfonso Caron's um, nanny growing up, or you know the housemaid uh, that looked after him and raised him. And it's the thing that I I realized, and and I, I get, it gets back to that sort of deeply personal thing that I was talking about, and only he could make this movie is the idea that that this movie is a love letter to the woman that raised him, and it it's a loving portrait. And I was like, and I and the second time I watched it. Like there are those staggering moments in this movie, those those incredible baffling moments yeah. where you're watching going, how did they even pull this off? Like there are there are scenes in this movie that are beyond comprehension in terms of the level of commitment it requires to make a movie. Sure. Um, you know, and they they rival anything in Children of Men and Gravity in terms of their scale, in terms of their coordination, in terms of the things that he's doing with the camera. Yeah. And I think just to side note it for a second, the first half of this movie is, while it is, it's establishing the rhythm of her life, of uh, yeah. uh, of Cleo's life. Yep. We haven't even actually talked about the synopsis of this film, by the way. Uh, which I can tell you right now if yeah, you do want. Yeah, do that quickly. Uh, it, it, uh, IMDb describes Roma as a story that chronicles a year in the life of a high-class family's maid in Mexico City in the early 1970s. I would say the middle class, but you know, whatever. Uh, I Really? Also, yeah. I know nothing. I, I'm. This is where I'm officially not. I don't know. Like that seemed like it would be an upper class. I get, yeah, I guess some somewhere like like. I, I, I always was, think of maid as upper class, and I know no, you, you in, literally just said that that's not the case. It's no. just my pre, my bias yeah. of what I. Understand. I guess yeah, and it, it's sort of common in in. I mean, the fact that they had two maybe might might have made things different. Sure, um, but at any rate. Um, the thing, the, that first half of the movie is so important because what it's doing is it's establishing the rhythm of her life um, in real great detail. It's, it's the second thing it's doing is it's also establishing the visual rhythm of this movie. Mm. And what I love about the visual rhythm of this movie is it's 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 entirely structural, like it's very very well structured, but it never feels schematic, like. The film, the rhythm of the movie is established, you know, in those amazing panning shots at the beginning of the yep. movie where she's basically, you know, we're doing sort of 360s around the house, seeing her day-to-day -day life and what she has to do to kind of, like, keep this house in order. But it's not, you know, like, there's no histrionics to it. There's no, like, uh, high drama to it. We're just seeing the little tasks that she's having to do, like turning off all the lights and panning around with that, putting the laundry out, you know, washing uh, washing people's clothes and, you know, making food and preparing, that sort of thing. One thing I really, on this on this note, one thing I really liked, in, and this is a consistent thing throughout the film, is a film would always sort of do uh, the, the circular sort of pan, right, like yeah. you just described, and it would... 
it would not just stay with Cleo or whoever it was following. It would continue past when they left. Yeah. And I really liked that because it was like it, it gave me a couple different things. One, it gave me obviously a good idea of like what's going on in sort of the space that we're in. It, again, helping with the immersion we discussed before. But two, it gave me the feeling of while this is a personal story about Cleo, it was like it, there was a real distinct sort of, and this is something a lot of slice of life films I think miss a distinct feeling of the world continues no matter who's there like right. did that make sense like yes this is cleo's story but it's important to realize that like there's a million things going on and and while we're going to follow cleo you need to understand that the things that are going to happen to cleo are kind of due to many things outside of her agency right uh and i like that i like that those and again that's not what the film's about it was just it helped me stay in the space more for a for a especially in the first half for a quieter film yeah uh that that like the, the immersion that was it's another another uh ingredient in the immersion suit. i mean so you know and and to that point i think it's something that alfonso Cuaron seems to have this sort of pretty natural skill yeah. at is that his voice with the camera is entirely unique like uh in yitu mama Tambien, it's a similar thing which is that the camera continues on in the space when characters leave it mm -hmm. and the camera kind of it almost feels like its own ghostly character. It never feels like someone's in, in control of it, even though it's a handheld movie. But it feels like the camera, it's not a subject, it's not a uh, objective camera. It's a subjective camera yeah. that's moving through this space. And the thing that was really, uh, that kind of unlocked it for me in some respect is, that, is to remember that this is, again, a deeply personal portrait. This is his family. And he's talking about the time that his dad left the family. Yep. And he is a character in this film. He's play, uh, the, little, the youngest child is meant to be sort of who he was. Okay, I didn't know which kid he was supposed to he's be. He's the youngest child. and But the film never, never takes the point of view of any character other than Cleo. Yeah. Like so it's in a, it it kind of watches her life and then whenever it switches to a point of view shot, which it does from time to time, it will only ever do it if it's her point of yeah, view. Yeah, yeah. And it was and and what that unlocked for me was realizing that this was he he was acknowledging that this was uh, a film about something very deeply personal in his life, but he wanted to. He, what he wants to do is to make sure that he's creating a portrait of her life, and it's about it's about this character who often gets forgotten and dismissed by the family. You know, like the mother kind of like is going through her own, in her own trauma, and she takes it out on Cleo. She yells at her, you yeah. know, like sort of un, uh, unnervingly. But the but the but the camera, what the camera is doing is playing a sort of unique sort of spatial position of being about her the camera is always focused on what she's doing and what and how she reacts to everything and it's really, sort of really interesting because i think one of the ways you could have played this movie um that would be you know i i still think a good movie but not quite exactly how this movie operates right is you could do it from the point of view of paco the little character the yeah. younger boy like watching his mate you know like and that would really firmly ground you on who's telling the story but instead what he wants to do is he wants to paint a portrait of this woman. He yeah. wants to observe this woman and her life and her and her story and her journey. And it's a journey that that I think is interesting because, you know, like he didn't know this journey. He didn't know what happened to her as he was growing up. It was only when he got older. And the thing that I um I, I love about this is that this character, uh, not quite this character, but she appears in Yutu Mama Tambian. 
Uh, in Yitu Mama Tambian, there's a maid character that lives with the with the richer family. Yep. And there's this like loving moment that, again, I think only a, a filmmaker with this kind of empathy and yeah. this kind of foresight would make, was that uh, I, it always stuck with me, this scene, is that the, the, I think it's played by Diego Luna, is kind of sitting around smoking weed and, you know, like playing a video game or watching TV or something. And the phone is next to him ringing and the maid comes in and has to, you know, like answers it for him. And then, uh, you know, like even though he's sitting right next sure, to him. Sure, 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 sure. And then she makes him a sandwich and then hands it to him. But she does it. The, the, I don't know why this has always stuck with me. She does it with absolute love, even though he's being kind of a dick mm. and he's being a douche. And you're like, ah, oh, this, this this fucking kid. She's like, does she makes him the sandwich and she gives it to him. And she like treats him like she's, his, you know, it's his son. And she just, you know, she has to look after him. And it was like... The the thing about this movie that struck me that that I had to that I couldn't articulate when I watched it was that this is a love letter to a woman in his life. It's basically a love letter to the to his to his other mother. Yeah. That he'd never thought about. Of and, course. and the film is an investigation of her life. And when you sort of, when I kind of unlocked and figured out how the visual schematic was kind of doing that and how the film is this loving portrait and and then thinking about those terms in terms of like some of the shots that appear in this movie, then I was like, this is why this is such a deeply personal film. And now I'm the second time I watched it, I was just in tears the whole time. Yeah. And I was in tears the first time, but the, the second time it kind of really hit me what he was trying to do with this movie. I'm very glad it wasn't from Paco's perspective or his little <laughs> perspective, because that to me, and, and I don't think he'd make that movie. That's the interesting. I mean, he obviously didn't, but I but like I wouldn't expect that movie from him. But the type of film that like is Pepe, sorry, it's Pepe. I think oh, it was, Pepe. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was. Oh, I don't know. I thought it was, there is another character. Called, I don't know. Yeah, uh, but, there is another character <coughs> called Papo, and there's Pepe. Okay. Yeah. Um. But I think making a film from your, the perspective of yourself that's supposed to be about another person as you as a child. It would be the self indulgence uh, of of a younger filmmaker. I feel like, or a younger man, like a college level sort of film that feels very like still thinking that he's the most important thing, even though he's totally telling this person's story. That's absolutely not what this film is. I think only someone who is as um, seasoned and and emotionally in touch with why he's feeling things as as Alfonso is would have the the wherewithal and the forethought to make the film the way he did. Um, I think it's it, it was I like looking at it from that perspective. I mean just used to I mean I thought about it a little bit, but you sort of opened up a couple things on that on that regard as well. Because truth be told, again, like how I said in the beginning, I think one of the reasons why it didn't stick with me, stick with me, was it's not nothing ha I'll, I'll I'll back up. Yeah. I felt like almost every emotional or dramatic thing that happens in this film is highly telegraphed. And by that I mean you're never shocked at the way a thing turns out because because he's done he does the emotional homework before the event in the film happens. It's funny, we can talk about this movie without actually talking about the events because you don't have to. Yeah. Um he does the emotional like groundwork and lays the foundation so that when the thing happens, you know it's coming, but he does it so well, you get that sort of dread that a person might have um, in an emotional response. Like, you know when you're in something and you're like, oh, God, like in your life, you're like, this is going to turn out bad. And you're like, no, 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 just keep going. Maybe it won't turn out bad. And it turns out bad. Yeah. It's that like level of like, oh, in your gut yeah. that he nails. And I really like thinking about it from 
that perspective now along with so that feeling we were having it wasn't actually like i didn't connect with it like i never saw obviously i didn't really see myself in there but i could uh empathize with uh cleo because it it's the film does all the work to get you in the emotional space if not the headspace of cleo and that's impressive like that's it's it's so yeah like there's so there's an extraordinary thing here, which is that again that that sense that the film is like entirely, it's so well structured, but it never feels like work. Like yes. you know what I mean. And and I and and the thing that's amazing about this is that, uh, you know, again I'm I am in awe of the altar of Alfonso Cuarón. I know I will. Be, I, I am a fanboy. But, that's all right. But, You're but talking to another fanboy right now but, for other things. But but it's like he is. I don't. He is so good at what he does that he he almost every genre he goes into and every film kind of feels like an entirely different thing, you know, like that he masters that thing, you know, like this feels like it could have come from an indie art house darling that you've never heard or seen before. But this is one of the biggest filmmakers in the world. He just said he could only do it. He was the only one that could do it. I'm saying the style of film, the <laughs> oh. style of film could come from you know like anywhere. Uh, but you know, or, or you could you could imagine it coming out of you know like like you having to go to an indie art house movie to see this movie. Sure, you know what I mean. Yeah. But 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 this is one of the biggest filmmakers in the world making this movie and and doing it as masterfully and as concisely and as well thought out as any filmmaker. And then he brings all the kind of the 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 big budget tools from those bigger movies into this world and completely unifies them in a way where it's not it doesn't feel like nothing in this goes oh this is the biggest filmmaker in the world making this movie it's the it's this entirely unique vision for how this works and he's just he's so it's he's so fucking good it's it's incredible how good he is at doing this like i you know like there is no other mo- there has not been another movie like Children of Men since Children of Men come out came out, right? There's no, there's never, right, 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 there's right, right. no other film like that. There hasn't been a film like Gravity since Gravity came out. Yes, and and the, I don't think there will be a film like Roma as like Roma to come out ever. I, that's what that's what I think is so unique about his voice. And I think we're gonna go on a bit of a divergent path for that okay. third one, only because I, of, again, it goes. It kind of goes back to our initial uh, yeah. semantic argument, yeah. where it's like, of course, there's never gonna be. Uh, of course not. You, you, I, what you're saying is, of course, uh, what I'm saying is moot because, of course, that is the case, right? right? And I think I, I'm highlighting that point because I think that's important to note because this is such a personal film. Yes, uh, that that is important to note that that to me. Alfonso Cuaron is making such a personal story here, and it's it can be difficult to unlock, I guess, in some points because sure. it's so unique. Um, as, and, but as far as sort of, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you. No, no, no go oh, ahead. Uh, I was I was trying to think when I was watching this because I was like, again, uh, the, my only criticism of the film itself was kind of like what I said before is how it didn't really connect with me, and I was like, oh, why? Like it, overall, I was like, why didn't it? Because I can see all the pieces. Yeah, and I was like, oh well, maybe it's because like I've seen. Again, not this story, but like similar stories in the past, or similar, uh, I guess, emotional journeys. And and for whatever reason, I don't because this is a completely different film, and I don't know why my brain went here. I went to Mother. Yep. Okay. And I was like, that's a film that took me on 
Oh, granted, it, that's a that's a uh, uh, representative journey way more than more it is, allegorical. Uh, allegorical. Thank yeah. you. Uh, then th- this is this is a th- Roma is a is a literal story. Like, yeah, yeah. and it's great for that. Um, and maybe I connect more with some things that are more allegorical. It might be why I connect with superhero films a lot because yeah. I I connect with sort of the allegory of the entire thing as opposed to the actual real nitty gritty and personal personable stuff. Wow, that's unlocked <laughs> a thing. Uh, but the so I, I think. It, it might have to do with my emotional tenor of how I retain highly emotional information and what I read from it. Yeah. Where the more allegorical or nebulous the thing is, I can attach it more to my own life, yeah, whereas can... something that is very specific, I can feel the emotion of it in the moment, yeah. but it won't stick with me. Like, sti- like in, in a weird... In, uh... Should, it won't stick with me as well. Yeah, the the other movie you should watch this year that is on a lot of top ten lists is Shoplifters, the Hirokazu uh, uh, Karita film. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's that that's another movie which is so specific. You're like, wait, how? You know, like the movie like moves in this way and reveals a story that is like so unique and so specific that you're like, it's hard to like latch onto. Okay, and I so I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, the thing here, I guess I, I I'm curious from your point of view. Mm. Is did by the time you got to the finale of the movie, yeah. had the movie kind of locked you into it, or it kind of put you in a position to understand at least the final moment? Because I think what what's important about the way the film schematically works, mm-hmm. even though I said it's not a schematic film, it is very structured. It's highly structured. Oh yeah, is that is that the first half of the movie? You're just observing this character. You're just observing, and you're kind of like it's laying the groundwork. It's it's laying the groundwork in an interesting way because I think what it's trying to do is make sure that you see the world that everybody else is ignoring, and you realize that yes. the, that that everybody else ignores the internal things that are happening with this character, and the film kind of moves to to like, and that, that's what that shifting panning sort of language is doing. Is it shifts and pans you over to her world, mm-hmm. and then by the end of the film, um. It entirely immerses you. You know, you should be, I think, in my mind, immersed into her emotional journey. And even if that emotional journey doesn't resonate with you, I think the the way the film works is to kind of like slowly move your point of view into that world. I think maybe I misspoke when I said the word, or I was sort of saying it didn't resonate with mm-hmm. me. In the moment, yeah. the film entirely resonated with yeah. me. It, 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 it. In the beginning, due to technical prowess, earned my attention, and then through emotional weight, got me invested in the characters and what was happening. I was able to empathize throughout the entire thing. Right. Um, I don't know why. Like, I was having a difficult time just sort of prepping for this podcast because I wanted to. I wanted to bring something to the table, uh, and I was like, a lot of times, if I'm very excited about a film, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll have things that just sort of jump up at me. And this one I had to sort of like really think and it's not bad. It's just like I had to sort of think about like, well, what really grabbed me is like, okay, well, I do think it was actually the technical stuff that allowed me to get this close to a thing that I'm not familiar with, which I think has its own merits. Um I just uh it didn't have that that um like that oh my god of me like I, I thought about it because we were doing a thing that I wanted to talk about. I didn't think about it because it was stuck in my mind. Yeah, yeah, no. I can, and I can totally understand that. I, 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 I guess what I'm saying there is that regardless of whether you were able to kind of latch onto the character or not, did you feel, think that the film was successful oh. in kind of moving you towards it? Whether, you, whether it kind of... You Above know, and beyond successful. Right. Uh, the, that it, 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 again, and it does it 
in it it hit it uses every weapon in a filmmaker's arsenal to get you there. Right. And and takes you it like it literally is like slowly putting you into a vehicle and like fastening your seatbelt, yeah. like making sure your headrest is adjusted and check your mirrors, and then it's like we're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and it's so you know like. I think that's just this 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 command of the language that he has that yeah. isn't that's just you know like un unparalleled. But I I I drug up uh, you know like again then I started reading about like where whoa sorry uh, drop the mic there I was dropping the mic <laughs> whoa um, he he I was reading up on like where the story came from for him and where he was kind of like coming from in terms of doing the film and he was like. He was talking, uh, there's an interview with uh, Emmanuel, uh, Chivo, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki, uh, who, who shot his previous four films uh, and is the only, this is the, I, side note here, this is just a fascinating thing, which is that the, his cinematographer is the only cinematographer in the world to have won the Oscar three times in a row. And, uh, you know, he won it for The Revenant, Gravity, and one other film, which I can't recall at this point. Um, and you know the world's best greatest cinematographer living right now outside of Roger Deakins probably and uh, Alfonso Cuaron wanted him to shoot the film and uh, over prep time because they shot the film in 108 days which is like three months or something like that and they shot it and they shot it in sequence they shot it like formally in sequence he was like I'm I need to I need to create a structure for this film that makes sense so that we is- we're constantly escalating it. It makes total sense to do it that way. That's nice that he had the 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 leeway to do that. He says he he talked about how coming off gravity, um, he and Shiva were talking about how it's not the toys and it's not the budget that that always like drives them nuts. It's the time. And he says he wanted to go to a film. He wanted to make a film in the way that he would enjoy making it. You know, like he wanted to make it. And, and he was like, and then he said the, the he was scared to make this film because it was like, you know, he's coming off gravity. He's like, he's just won an Oscar. You know, like what is the, what is the follow up? But he's not, what I think I love is that he kind of decided this is not about my career. This is about me as an artist. And he was, and he said, I am getting older and I want to investigate through the medium that I work in where my life what my life is about and and, see, and and what what was important to me in my life and he talked about oh, yeah, sorry you're, you're oh, no i was just gonna say and that's a reason why i really like him not only as a director but as a person like this is more to him than than just a job it's yeah. more to him than him thinking of himself as an artiste which yeah. a lot of i feel like people in the industries kind I of get, get to you can get caught up in like the career of you it. can you can buy into your own hype you can love the smell of your own farts and this is a man that does neither of those things and he he what what do you do after you've just won the oscar for 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 gravity right yeah you could go and try to make another film like that uh, or not like that but like in the same ilk or do something bigger or whatever but but he chose to do something that was emotionally important to him obviously make it with the utmost of craft and and skill but he chose to do something that's incredibly personal and and that's something that i think not only is i won't call it I was about to be like, it's so brave. I don't know if it's brave uh, because he has confidence, obviously, in his skill and his craft. But he it it was. um, You know what it is? It is. um, I will call it giving, if that makes a weird sense. He (laughs) he is giving us something that is important. He's sharing. That's what it is. He's sharing something that's incredibly personal to us. Granted, Gravity had a personal story. Children of Men had a personal story. He finds the personal in those bigger stories. It wasn't his. And this is him giving the audience or giving the film going public like really access and sharing an emotional journey he 
witnessed and wants to, I think, wanted to understand more and did throughout making this film. So he talked about uh, working with Lebo, the person you know who's still alive, and he said, you know, like I had extensive conversations with the real life Cleo writing for her character, and I was forced. And, and I was for, forced for the first time in my life to see her as a woman and to see the complexities of her situation. A woman that had that it comes from more disadvantaged social class and also comes from an indigenous heritage in a society that is ridden by class. And in the third world, there is a very perverse relationship. And in the third world where there is a very perverse relationship between class and race. And I think, you know, uh, we were talking uh, about like, I wanted to see this with my wife and my mother and, yeah. and see what they thought about it. And the first thing, you know, my, my mother loved the movie. She was like, she just, it, it kind of just spoke to her. And what was cool was that she started talking about, my mother just started telling me all these stories of all the, the women that came into our house that looked after us when we were growing up right. as she was working and stuff. Um, and then she started telling me about like, uh, she, she I, I've forgotten how much my mom loves movies. Like, and I think it, it like, cause we don't talk about movies a lot. Should but, have her on the show. We should have her on the show. She's fantastic. She's my mother. Yeah. Um, but then she was like, she was like, oh, there's this Bollywood film called Aradna from like 1968. It was about a nanny. And she was like, she she recounted to me the whole entire story of this movie that she had seen like 30, 40 years ago. Right. And it was like, oh, yeah, maybe this is where I get, you know, some of that sort of like, because she remembered all the details of this like one movie she had seen so long ago. And I just... I'd forgotten that my mom has because we never talk about movies. So anyway, she was she just loved the movie. Yeah. Uh, but my wife said this one thing that I thought was really interesting. It reminded me of a conversation that I had when um, I was doing my master's in screenwriting, and my my lecturer there, like we would have these one on one crit sessions, which would last four or five hours, where they would tear apart your script. <laughs> Good uh, times. You know, and they would just tear apart everything you'd written. And and he and uh, Ken. Ken Duncan, bless him, a uh, wonderful playwright. Uh, he, he said this thing to me. He was like, because I was writing a story that was uh, an adaptation of a real-life event, and he was like, he was really trying to dig into me with every scene. He was like, why do you want to tell this story? And and I would give him all these answers about how I think this story is like about the hypocrisy of society and yada, 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 and it's about this, 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 and this. And he was like, no, 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 you need to think about the really... He says, somewhere inside you is something that speaks directly to the story and you don't know what it is yet and that is what attracts you to it and he says and what you don't realize is that this story no matter how much it's about someone else is actually about you it's actually a reflection of what you think of the world and the way you see the world and the reason i thought that was important is my wife watched the movie and at the end of it she goes what a wonderful man she was like like and I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard he's a really nice guy. She goes, she, he has to be in order to make that movie. Yeah. Like, there's no, there, like, a person who is a terrible person who, like, can't do is that, an no. asshole can't do that movie. Yeah. Like, she, is, it require, she was like, the kind of person that makes that movie is the kind of person who thinks deeply about other people. Yep. And that's, that's the only kind of person that can make that movie. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, and she, and it, was, it got into that thing, which was that every, whether you want it or not, every film is a reflection of the people that made it. Yeah. It's a reflection of their worldview of the people that made it. Um, and this film is a deeply empathetic film about a person in his life that he wants to try and understand and share with other people because he loves her. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that's what makes this film so unique and interesting. Um, no, that good, good on, good on Shivali for for yeah nailing that down. She, she absolutely nailed that down, and I was like, oh yeah, he's got, he has to be. Now, um, 
you know, uh, I want to, if if listeners are sort of interested in this story, I just think this is an extraordinary uh, article. It came out last year in The Atlantic. Uh, It's by a writer by the name of uh, Alex Tizon, who actually passed away recently. Um, This is the most extraordinary article. It's called My Family Slave. And it's it's about uh, uh, a guy who didn't, it's sort of a similar thing, but in a very different context. But he didn't realize that his family's nanny, who had raised his mother and then eventually like moved in with him, was kind of taken from her home in the Philippines and and brought to and brought to his house and kind of like Jesus. But the thing is, is that it it's a while it kind of is trying to put her situation in context. It's also a love letter to this woman who like raised him and is raising his children um and there's this wonderful passage in it um that i that i that i pulled up because i I just i was reminded of that article. where's this article it's in the atlantic okay Uh, so look up the atlantic look up my family slave uh alex tizod and it's about a woman named lola who again looked after him and and there's this passage that i that i read that kind of really struck me. It was, uh, Lola fed, groomed, and dressed my mother. When they walked to the market, Lola held an umbrella to shield her from the sun. At night, when Lola's other tasks were done, feeding the dogs, sweeping the floors, folding the laundry that she had washed by hand in the Camelling River, she sat at the edge of my mother's bed and fanned her to sleep. And it was this, this, there is this unique thing that goes beyond transactional in these cultures where a nanny is brought into the house, where the nanny becomes the surrogate mother, and yeah. in almost every sense of the word becomes the surrogate mother. There's scenes in in um, in Roma where Cleo is waking up the kids, and it's uh, like she's like tick, you know, she's like running yeah. her hands up and down them, tickling them, and kind of like wake up little mouse, and like. They wake up and they're like so happy to see her, mm-hmm. and they talk so much about how they love her. And I was like, and I, I again, I was just struck about how much love she has for these children, and how much they love her, and how because you know she's a surrogate mother, and I think we not society in general, but like it's something that I just hadn't thought about it before as well. And I and I and again, I thought about this woman that raised that used to take me to. To, to kindergarten and used to look after me and used to bring me home after school and like make me a snack and then like play with me and like then wash my clothes and put me to sleep. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, there is this like depth of love there that is not often portrayed and not often thought about. But or, it is a, or, or portrayed well. Yeah. And just, and just, and I, and I really thought about that. Okay. And then my final thing is just the technical acumen of this movie. Sure. Okay, which is just, in a weird way, is like the last thing to think about. Even though. It is extraordinary. Uh, there's a scene in this movie, in the background of, uh, of this movie, it's this, this amazing thing that Alfonso Cuaron does really well, which is the foreground background yep. kind of connection. But there are scenes in this movie where there are background extras to the number of hundreds, possibly thousands. I don't know. It, it feels like thousands. Yeah, it yeah. might not be. But he relegates them entirely to the background. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a sequence where uh, a riot goes on. And we only see it through the window of another shot. And it's like, oh, just imagine the coordination required to, to, to do that sequence, mm-hmm. you know, and how difficult that sequence must have been. And then finally, the last, uh, you know, this is, uh, if we're getting to any specific spoilers. Do we want to? Because we've been pretty clean so far. <clears throat> we have been pretty clean. There is, okay, I'll, I'll try to do this as vaguely as okay. possible. Um, 
I watched a documentary about uh, Sergio Leone a while back where, they, where James Wood's terrible person on Twitter. But James <laughs> I was Wood, like, where are you going? Uh, James Wood talked about how whenever, like, Sergio Leone would, like, hold his crew and wait for the rain to start and then call action. And he right. was like, only Sergio Leone would direct the weather. Right. And, and this film has such a mastery of the elements. Um, obviously, you mentioned water, which is right yep. up front, and there's a scene that takes place uh, in water in the rain. But they were watching the same time. There were all these subtle cues about water. Like mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene where Cleo is running through the streets, and someone is like um, uh, getting rid of the water out of their uh, uh, what are those things called that are uh, hang above the, uh, the yeah, uh, awning. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. She's like getting rid, of, and it like, and they time it so that as soon as Cleo runs past the, they push the water out of the awning so it like rushes past Cleo. Yeah. Uh, beautiful stuff, but there's a sequence at the end of this movie that requires the mastery of the weather, water, child actors uh, in an external environment, and then it's done in a single take where the final moment of the shot is like all these characters sitting perfectly, you know, like backlit by the sun. And it's this extraordinary culmination of emotion, technical. There's a thing in uh, IndieWire where they talk about that sequence where they 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 only got one take of it. Oh, yeah. They tried to get six takes of it, and it failed every single wow. time. And then that one take where they land perfectly in the light and the emotional... like, And then you've got an actor who's a first-time actress leading that scene and having to go through like a real physical action... You know, with with all the stuff, and then and then like land on an emotional beat with child actors all around. It, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Um. So I just want I just wanted to shout out those are, those will be my last words on the movie. Yeah. It's extraordinary. I mean, I I I agree uh, with everything you've said. Uh, I think again, this this falls into the category of you know. My gripe is more of how I experience film and not the film itself. Uh, therefore, like, you'd be hard-pressed to pick any actual nits with this film. It's just a matter of whether or not, A, you're into this sort of film, and B, if you are, like I am, if it connects with you long after and the reasons why. I really like the what you sort of said, Shahir, about um, – well, what you said, what Shivali really said. Yeah. Um, just about a, it, it it's literally showing a level of kindness and empathy in a person that that is absolutely wonderful. It's also showing a perspective that uh, you know, despite all the you know, the, the, I'll say trials and tribulations or just highs and lows of this of this woman that I've never experienced before, and that's always whenever I'm shown something new, especially when I'm shown something new that is in. Like I'll go back to my thing of like nothing surprised me in this movie, but the journey of understanding this woman told from a boy who lived with her when he was a child that surprised me. Like the plot itself did not. I was never like, oh my god, I never saw. Which you don't have to. Right. It's just it's a different kind of discovery. I yeah. think than than I normally get in the film, so uh, yeah, I think it was wonderful. I will watch it again uh, at some point once the once the the holiday season uh, slows down. Zoe is very excited. Do you have something to say? <laughs> You're good. She liked it. Yeah, she Zoe actually. It, yeah. Zoe Zoe did sit on my lap while we watched it. Yeah. So that is a sign of a film. It it keeps the attention of a cat. No, <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful film. Everyone should see it. If you can't see it in the theater, see it on. If you have a decent, uh, I will say, if you're gonna watch it at home. Try not to watch it on your on your shitbox like Samsung TV speakers. No, I, I would just say don't. I I understand that like people, not everyone can like sit up a thing. Just don't watch it on your phone. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> You're just going that low. <laughs> yeah. Just, Actually, no, no, no. Hold hold on. Yeah. 
I would actually say if you have a set of decent headphones for your phone, yeah, I would rather you watch it on your phone than on a on a on a standard television Vizio speaker system because there's something there's something about being put in that space and headphones even with stereo headphones the way that the sound they can actually do things with it I would say it might be in a more immersive experience that's weird <laughs> that's so weird that I believe that because I hate that idea I I think you know maybe and I know I, I I did finish out my final thoughts but I think the interesting thing here is that even if you're a person that loves like Michael Bay movies. And and big action movies and you and you love the sort of technology and like yeah, seeing yeah. movies on like on a big screen and sound and all that stuff. This is actually a movie that does all of that stuff better without being showy about it. Like yes. it never feels like it's oh, about yeah. those things, but it actually is crafted much well, you know, whatever relatively, but it's crafted in a way that brings in all of that sort of technical acumen into this world. But the thing it crafts actually deserves it. Like does that make like there's like and and because the thing it's crafting deserves it the the visualization of you watching the craft does bleed away like it, because it's doing its job whereas if I'm watching a uh, 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 I'll say the first Transformers because I like the first I Transformers, like the first Transformers. <laughs> but I was in I I don't think the technology told me a story that uh, needed to be told like you know like it's just it they did all the whiz bang and they did all the technical acumen and that's great yeah why do they do it to make action figures punch each other like I mean, they always use those movies as like showpieces i know when you go into a but TV this screen. is using well yeah. no not i think this is CG. actually you know like this should be when you walk into like a best buy like it would be it, rather than showing you a scene from Transformers, which is the kind of thing that they, they normally do, or one of those like little cut things, they should show a scene from this movie in the Dolby Atmos. I actually, I actually disagree because that won't sell televisions. I, it, this, it, it won't because because the the weight of all of the stuff that we're describing is a slow burn. Where you only have in retail, you only have a specific number of minutes to get people through. I I might be being naive about retail whiz bang, but I, I guess <laughs> what, I, my point is a little bit more theoretical or a little bit more philosophical in the idea that this is an extraordinary display of technical acumen. And those who can understand that or see it will be amazed. But it just won't it won't necessarily hit 95. I of want people. to live in the world where you could sell TVs with this film. Yeah. I don't think we do. <laughs> it's amazing that this film is available right now. Yeah. Go watch Nef it. On Netflix. I'm, I'm very proud of we didn't give away anything that's not a crazy spoiler. Uh, we didn't give away really any large spoilers. So Oh, what do you got? You're pointing up in the air. Oh no, I just I just remembered that uh, someone did <laughs> tweet us this week. You asked for the unicorn who who didn't have uh, who listened to this podcast and didn't have Netflix. Oh my God! Did they what? They did tweet. Who us did this, it? It was Kartik who has emailed us before. Oh, what up, Kartik? Yeah, from Fair, and he was like, I don't have Netflix, and and it was funny because he did that from the Buster Scruggs episode, which the only way to watch Buster Scruggs is is by is by going on Netflix. And what? And I said to him, Wait a minute, how did you listen to that review without without um, without having Netflix, and he said, "I listen to the review until you get into spoilers, and then I leave it." Wow! If I if I haven't seen the film, so Kartik, this is for you, buddy. We <laughs> didn't spoil a thing. You can listen to the whole. Oh my god! And Kartik, you don't have Netflix. You yeah! need to... so maybe hopefully Kartik, if you get, you are getting a special shout out here, uh, and he's in Paris. Hopefully he can go see this movie. You in can the get theater. Netflix in Paris, right? Oh, you, you can absolutely get Netflix. In I Paris. think it's that Kanye song, Netflix in Paris. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, inwards in Paris is Netflix, <laughs> but but but. Uh, I'm hoping he goes to see this in a theater. I'm hoping he goes to see. I'm sure. I've met Kartik. I know Kartik. He will see that. He will see this. Film. Okay. All right. 
Well, this has been the only podcast about us telling Kartech to go see Roma in yeah. the theater. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, Shahir, when you are not witnessing uh, the cinematic event of your lifetime that does not include Thanos, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me holding all my Infinity Stones on my website at www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt. God, I was just all I got is an Infinity Stones joke. When you are not uh, you reality it. stoning yep. your way into um, the Mexican city of Roma, where can people find you? You can find me just twisting reality to my own will at m a t t h e w k r o l dot com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor the number four p r e z on Instagram or Emperor M S K on Twitter. Actually, by the time this comes out as well on extra credits on YouTube, we are doing uh, our new extra mythology that came out just in time for the holidays. Guess what we're talking about, Shahir? What are you talking about? Krampus. Oh, Krampus. The There's... myth and, and the legend behind Krampus. And and uh, I'm saying it like that because Christoph Waltz on the internet taught me that's how you say it. Okay. Um, you should have you guys are you guys talking about the film Rare Exports? No, no, no. Okay. No. Uh, but the so we just go through all of the sort of the way Krampus was developed and how where where he might have come from and all of the other sort of holiday uh, mythology mythology and the Coca-Cola monsters. myth the Coca Cola myth. We, we, didn't, we, we don't go that far. It's, okay. It, it, this is all almost like Bavarian and like sort of like things surrounding like because because the holiday season used to be a dark time like it it was very it was scary. I know you guys are excellent at your job. Yeah. I will just say, as a recommendation, sure. I would check out the film Rare Export, which is not a movie I love, but is an interesting take on the Krampus mythology. Rare Export. Yeah. Okay. Rare Exports. Exports. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie with a very terrifying Santa Claus. Oh, good. <laughs> Anywho, St. Nicholas kind of was a... Well, he was great, and he was also kind of a... Well, no, yeah. he actually did good stuff. He resurrected children and did a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, this has been the only podcast about movies next week. I think we're going to be traversing into the Spider-Verse here. I think so, and I'm excited. I, have I again, haven't watched the trailer, but I'm excited because I hear very good things about this film. First trailer, I was like, meh. Second trailer, I was like, oh, yes. And now, of course, the tyrant of, uh, the tirade of just uh, positivity coming at this film. So we'll be talking about that next week. Go check it out before then. But I got, I got nothing other than don't watch the trailer to Roma. I didn't. Yeah, don't. And it don't. was worth Do it. Not. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing trailer. Yeah. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal trailer. Just don't watch it. Yeah. Alfonso Cuaron knows what he's doing. I hope we know what we're doing and we talk about movies. Enough. Watch the movie. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.